a kingdom experience. The acceptable way of approach to God in admission to his favor. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope. service already i feel the same way i did after this the first one i just thought i don't even what do i say they already stole all of my material blessed blessed uh to be here and thank you so much just want to uh just emphasize again access next sunday night we'll start a monthly uh experience we're going to have here for you it's not like a service but it is a service it's not going to be like worship hard stop message it's going to be a flow that will start where worship, prayer, healing, uh, it's going to be powerful. We really want the whole community to show up for this. Uh, our goal is to do it every month and take it from there, see what God does with it. Um, on Tuesday night, we'll tell you more about it at the end of the service, but on Tuesday night I've asked Art Thomas from Detroit to come. He's been a missionary in Uganda. He's uh, did a film with Bethel Church in Reading. He's uh, really a great trainer in the area of healing, and I've asked him to come in and spend some time with us on Tuesday morning and really train, teach us how to pray for the sick, um, heal the sick, and he'll be back that night too, so they're going to have two opportunities from 9 to 11.30 on Tuesday morning, and then at night from 7 to 8.30. It's going to be a great time, and then out of that, we we pray that God's going to raise up a team of really trained and anointed healers in our place. He'll be back with us on the 24th for our access night, and we, we just really pray that God is going to bring a lot of healing uh, in this body and outside this body for the glory of God. Amen? So, uh, God, don't, don't ever discount what's happening. Don't ever think, well, I don't know if that's for me. No, it's for you. You just have to go, well, I'm busy. We're all busy. But there's some things that are priority. There are just some things you go, that's so significant. What if you, what if God spoke to you? What if God touched you? What if God opened up or revealed something to you that allowed you one day to pray for a family member or a friend and it brought healing in their life? Would not that sacrifice of a couple hours be worth it all? I want you to look at things differently. Amen? You know, I... Uh, I came across this quote from Ted Dobson, and I, I want to I read it to you because it's so powerful. As we think about, about where we are and who we are, I want you to think your relationship with the Father on three potentially different levels, okay? And those levels really start, the, the kind of the core of it all is that of a son. And then we go to friendship. And then servant. The goal is to move inward into sonship. Dobson said this, men today excluded themselves from the most important issues of life. Often 
they are not active members of their own families, unable to have effective relationships. This brokenness can be traced to the fact that boys lack sufficient contact with their fathers to generate a healthy masculine self-image. There is a tear in the masculine soul, a gaping hole or a wound that leads to profound insecurity. Society has torn the soul of the male, and into this tear demons have fled, demons of insecurity, of selfishness, and of despair. Consequently, men do not know who they are as men. Rather, they define themselves by what they do, who they know, or what they own. We have a a confusion of gender in our world today, not because of some biological reason. We have it in our world today because there is an effort on the part of the enemy to destroy the concept of a father. If you can eliminate a father and you can eliminate roles in society, you, you, you disengage the heavenly father with his earthly children. And by so doing... You separate people from true reality and what it means to be loved by a father. If we restore that from a biblical perspective, it can bring healing to your life in fresh ways that you never imagined. This chart that I put together illustrates these three different positions that we have as children. And I want to just walk these, walk through uh, these with you, but... In the first, you see a relationship and understanding an obligation. If you see yourself as a servant or a slave to the Father, then your understanding is power. God is all-powerful. I don't do what's right, then God punishes me. And my obligation is simply to obey. So everything I do is out of obligation to obey him. If, however, I see myself as a friend of God, then my understanding is position, that I have a friendship within my, my family, and my obligation is therefore to respect. I respect my friends. I don't obey my friends. I respect them. But if I understand, and this is where God wants us to be, that my relationship is that as a son. And by the way, that word sonship in the Bible refers to men and women. It's not isolating out sons versus daughters. It's seeing all of mankind under this concept. So if I see myself as a son or a daughter, then my understanding is a perspective. I see things from the Father's eyes. And the obligation is transformation. So now my obligation is personal transformation that thereby transforms those within the sphere of my influence, be it my children, my children's children, or third or fourth generations down the road, that now I have a responsibility to take that which I have and extend it further. In the book of Matthew, there's a parable, and a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And in this story, what what Jesus does is he highlights some things he wants us to understand. And so he exaggerates in one sense the, the idea of how much this man owes to his master in order to illustrate compassion and pity. It says in Matthew 18, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So what's the kingdom of heaven like? It's like this parable. It's not exactly this parable. It's like this parable. There's similarities in this that we can understand in the supernatural spiritual realm. 
And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, if we do the math on that, based on what Jesus was saying, this man owed $2 million in today's money. So he exaggerates this to make a point. There's no way this man could ever pay this back. He has now put himself into debtor's prison and his family, and he is trapped continually, and he cuts off a generation and a generation thereafter from ever having freedom and having life. It says, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that they had and that that payment be made. So now not only is the father going in, the wife is going in, and the children are all going into a debtor's prison, and their entire destiny has been determined by debt. They're cut off, and they, all they are is servants or slaves that can be sold and bought at the will of the master. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will repay you all. And what he was doing was he was appealing to the father, to the master as a father. He was seeing himself in that moment as a son, which is where we need to be. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. That's the response of a father, not of a master, but of a father. But that servant, who, by the way, did not accept sonship, Watch this now. He went out, he found his fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii, which is $12,000. So he's been forgiven $2 million, but now he remembers somebody owes him 12000 He laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, same words, appealing as a father, have patience with me and I will pay you all. But he would not. But he went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. They came, they told their master all that had been done. The master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as he had pity on you? Level one. Are you a servant or are you a slave of the Father? You see, there are certain characteristics that fall into line if you are. In Matthew 18, it says, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? You see, a servant works under compulsion or obligation. A servant doesn't say, I love you, I want to serve you. He says, you make me, so I have to. It's the person who said, you know, I really don't want to serve in church, but if, I, if you guilt me enough or you put me in the right situation, I will feel obligated and I will feel compelled to do that, but I will not do that out of love because my time is my time and my, my money is my money and my gifts are my gifts and I don't give those freely. I don't release those easily because, you see, a servant is more concerned with self-interest than the interest of the household. If you grew up in a household or you've witnessed a household where there's a child that seems to control the entire house, it is because of self-interest. It is because they have more interest in them than they do in the good of the household. The same thing's true in the household of God. You see, we have to have more interest in the good of the household than we do in always getting our individual rights taken care of. We've raised up a generation, an entire generation of churches that have this mindset that it has to be about me. 
It has to be the right music. It has to be the right temperature. It has to be the right message. It has to be the right location. Right, 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 right. I want you to know when you went to Calvary and you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you nailed every right you ever had to the cross. You said, I die that he might live. I give up my right to live my life my way that I might live my life his way. And that's transformational. And it's painful because self just wants to rise back up so badly. But you see, we move from there and and we understand that you don't have the Father's heart if that's the way you look at life. So you say, what's the Father like? I don't care. I want what I want. And what it does is it shows a lack of honor. Honor is one of those things we don't talk a lot about, but we recognize it when we see it in the life of someone. And when someone honors you, you recognize it. You see, the Bible says we are to give honor to whom honor is due. When you walk into the room, the first thing you ask is, who's older than me? You give them honor. That's what the Bible says. Then you walk into the room and you say, who has a position over me? You give them honor because they have a position over you. You look in your, in your position in the family, who's above me in my family? You give them honor because honor is due. Then you give people honor for what they do because they've, they've somehow blessed you, but then ultimately, guess what it says? You give honor to one another. Do you see what it's saying? It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what position you are, everyone should get honor. When honor is given, honor has a way of multiplying such a powerful way that it's transformational, and God understands that. Level two is that of a friend. When we begin to think about a friend and friends in our life, imagine Jesus calls you to his side and he says, you're my friend. But you see, when, when you begin to move into the book of Romans and therein, thereafter, you'll see that then he begins to refer to us as sons and daughters. We go from servant to friend to sons and daughters. He wants us to keep growing in our understanding. But there's one thing that's really interesting about this is when you see this idea of adoption in the Bible, what it does is it immediately takes you from adoption and it thrusts you into sonship. And you bypass servanthood and friendship because now when you're adopted, you're adopted by the Father, you're placed in sonship instantly, without delay, without any restrictions, without anything else. He says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I want you to understand that. John chapter 15 and verse 15 says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends. You see what Jesus is doing? He's taking to the next level. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known unto you. So a friend has an interest in spiritual things. When, you have, when you're a friend of God, you go, I'm interested in what the Father is saying. I want to understand what God is up to. I don't want to be force-fed. I want to feed myself in this situation. But a friend also has a knowledge of the Master's activity. You see, Jesus said, I only do those things which I see my Father do. So what he's doing, he's, he's observing, he's being mentored, he's saying, I see the Father doing this, I can do this. Some of the great lessons of life are learned when you're not teaching. I remember one time I said to my dad, Dad, I need an allowance. All the other kids at school have an allowance. You get no allowance, you go get a job. A job? I'd rather have an allowance. There is no allowance. You know, we, 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 we make up things for kids to do so we can give them some money. Because you know they're not going to carry through, right? 
feed the dog. The dog's going hungry. The parents got to feed the dog. It's what happens, amen? So I get a paper route. So I said, Dad, okay. I said, what am I going to do? He said, get a paper route. I said, okay, paper route. That sounds like a good idea. Applied, got a job for a paper. I said, Dad, I need a new bike. I got my bike's like a little 10-speed, got little skinny tires. He said, it'll work. Okay, so I get the 10-speed, and he says, just pump up the tires with more air. Now, remember, this, this is how I'm being taught, okay? Well, now, I lived in, I grew up in Denver, so it snows in Denver. Have you ever imagined a paper uh, route with a bicycle with skinny tires, front-loaded, right, with papers, and I'm delivering papers? And there more than one time when I flip over the handlebars, and when I'd get over the handle, I still got scars on my knuckles from it. When I I'd get off the, I go, my daddy doesn't understand. And then there was that person that always complained the paper didn't get close enough to the front door, right? And they'd come out and they'd yell at you. You know, I'm like 13 years old. They're yelling at me. I, I don't know. I just, I'm just trying to get my paper route done. I don't really care. Can you walk another 12 feet? Is what I wanted to say. But my dad would say, just give him honor. The people that gave the most trouble to me were the people, when I ordered them, they gave me the tips. Here's an extra five. Thanks for getting my paper closer. You see, honor will always reproduce honor in somebody else. You say, well, what if it doesn't? Then you do it anyway because it's a principle of duty. You don't do it because it feels good. You don't do it because you want to. You do it because it's the right thing to do. When you operate from a sense of rightness, it will produce in you an everlasting tree of life. You see, in this level, you not only know what the Father's up to, but you, you receive truth. When the Father begins to speak, it comes into you. It doesn't bounce off of you. You see, truth bounces off the heart of a slave. But truth comes in. That's why you always have to remain teachable in your life. See, that people that aren't teachable can never grow because they always know too much. They can't listen because they're too busy talking. But when you get a teachable spirit, you reveal the heart of a friend. And God says, I'm going to give you more because you are like that. And then there's level three, and that's the heart of a son. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage, that is slavery, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. There it is. I didn't get from the father fear or bondage. I got adoption. And I can walk as a son, as a daughter of the living God. Look what else he says. By whom you cry out, Abba, Father. Daddy, Father. I relate to you, Father. I receive from you, Father. You see, so that son is teachable, and he's growing in the likeness of his heavenly Father. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7, it says this. It is for discipline that you have, have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whose father does not discipline? We've come to understand that the word discipline means punishment. It does not mean punishment. If you're disciplined in a sport, it's because you do something over and over and over again until you perfect it. The father takes and he reworks your life over and over again until your life reflects the image of the father. That's a discipline. Now, you might want to take discipline. You're going to be disciplined. What that means is you're going to get whipped. I had some of those moments. I asked my mom one time, I said, Mom, did you have to whip me very often? She said, every day, and you needed more. <laughs> my dad had a technique when I was young. He would grab me by the, by the ankles. He would hold me upside down, take off his belt, and give me a couple. Best thing ever happened to me. 
So you poor thing, you were abused. No, I wasn't. I was stupid and I needed correction. We're raising up a bunch of entitled children and it's like the tail wagging the dog. Right? Here's the tail, it's stationary. The dog's just going, that's mom and dad, back and forth. I don't know what to do. He just wants to do nine sports. Well, who are the parents in the household? I'm just saying it's time we understand they do not make the decision. If you do that, then you will raise a generation who will raise a generation of servants. I don't get many amens on that one. Let's try it again. If you kind of like that or if you'd give me a courtesy clap, would you put your hands together? So what does a son do? He serves out of devotion. I, he just says, you know what? I love my father. And when you do that, God will elevate you to a position beyond your ability. Now, stay with me on this one. Now, I, I apologize to the media room. You will not be able to keep up with my notes in this next section because I get excited about this. I want you to imagine, do you remember the biblical character Joseph? The coat of many colors, remember him? He was one of 12. He was the father's favorite the father comes to him and gives him a coat of many colors, and it angered all the brothers. The reason he got the coat of many colors was because he understood sonship. The father was wealthy. He could afford 12 coats of many colors. He could have given a coat to every one of them. It wasn't that he didn't want to. It was that he couldn't. You see, God wants to put a coat of many colors on you, but for most of you, he cannot because you're still operating out of slavery or servanthood instead of sonship. So all of a sudden, Joseph gets the coat of many colors. He's walking around. God's giving him revelation, words of knowledge, prophetic utterances. He's speaking about the future. His brothers are angered because they're looking at it like a, like a, like a servant instead of like a son, and they say, we're going to get rid of this guy. And so what they do is they strip the coat off of him. They threw him in a, in a pit. They said, we're done with his sonship. We don't have to be reminded. A religious spirit always tries to kill sonship. They said, you know what, it's not enough for us to just leave him here to die. Let's profit from him. Let's sell him into slavery. So they sell him to some Egyptian uh, traders. They take him down into Egypt, and there they sell him as a slave. But guess what? Every time Joseph got a setback, it said, and the favor of God was on him. You see, because when you're a son, you can never be outside the favor. You might have a setback, but that doesn't get you outside the favor. So everywhere he goes, he's got favor. He's going into prison, favor. He's being arrested, favor. He's being falsely accused, favor, favor, favor. And, you're, and if you're Joseph, you're saying, how do you get it? He got it. He got sonship from the beginning, so he never had to operate like a slave. Now he finds himself in Potiphar's house, falsely accused, by a woman who doesn't understand sonship because she's married to a man who doesn't understand sonship. So she tries to elude him and, and bring him into her bedroom, and he refuses and leaves, falsely accused. He goes back into prison, and now there he is in prison again. And while he's in there, he encounters some other prisoners. God begins to open up his spirit, man. He begins to see things that he shouldn't see in terms of understanding. And all of a sudden, the timing is coming, and, and, and he is elevated in front of Pharaoh to give an interpretation of a dream. And the minute he gives the interpretation of the dream, watch what Pharaoh does. He makes him number two in the kingdom 
of Egypt, he gives him the place of a son instead of his own son who was acting like a servant. Did you hear what I said? That's so good. If you don't get excited about that, you won't get excited about anything. You were boring on your honeymoon if you don't get excited about that. You mean all I needed to do to be excited about my honeymoon was just learn to stand in sunshine? Yes. All of a sudden, so he elevates him to that place of sonship, and guess what? Here it comes, so you know it's coming. It's getting good. A bunch of slaves show up who were his brothers begging as a servant would beg because they still didn't understand sonship. They stand in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh looks at him. He has to dis- or, or Joseph looks at him. He has to go around the back and shed a few tears because he knows he's their brothers, and they're asking, please, give us some food. We're starving. We're servants. We're slaves. We'll do anything for you. And he says, I am Joseph. I am a son. And because he was a son, he didn't punish his brothers. Are you with me on this? This is so good. He doesn't punish them. He treats them like sons. This is so good. I mean, I could just preach this again. I'm just, we're going to call an audible and have a third service. No, I'm just kidding. When you act out as a son, God will bring resources into your realm, into your circle of, of, of life for no apparent reason. See, a father comes, he says, here, here's this for you. Well, what I do? Nothing. Because what you're asking is, you're, you're operating from a servant, you're saying, I want to do it again so I get more stuff. It has nothing to do with what you do, it has to do with who you know. And when you understand a, a, the, the heart of a son, then all of a sudden he can give you favor over and over and over again. I want to show you a picture here. This, I, my wife gave me this great little uh, Father's Day gift today. She said, here's two cards, and you have to sit down. And I said, I don't want to sit down. I just want to stand up and read them. You know, have you ever noticed, like, you, you develop in card world? You know, as a child, the first thing you do is pull out the card, and then you shake it to see if any checks come out of it, right? That's your first step, you know. And then you get to where you don't really read the front. You just go to the inside. And, you know, you're all the, you understand that there's a whole chronology of card reading, right, when you get a birthday card or anything else. So you said, sit down. I said, okay, i got to sit down. So I sat down. Open the first one. Gift card, very nice, from, from Nordstrom's for well under a million dollars. And the second one's a letter that I wrote about my dad. And I recounted some of the funny things, some of the great things. One of the things my dad taught me was that when we go to church, that the night before we polish our shoes. And in that day, they had brown shoes and black shoes. And if you wore any other kind of shoes, you got beat up. You just, brown shoes, black shoes, that's all you get. You get nothing else. But we had two brushes to polish them with. And one was for the black shoes and one for the brown shoes. And you never mix them. I didn't know he was teaching me something in that moment. He said, see, the polish on the black brush will get on the brown shoe, and it'll ruin the brown shoe. You know what he's teaching me? Excellence. It's a trait I still have to this day. We're sitting out in front of our house. I look up. I see a limb. That's, the tree's a little bit crooked. And I said, look at that tree. It's got a little crook. She said, it's a beautiful tree. I know, but we've got to do something about that. I can't help it. I was sitting down here today, I'm texting our staff, and I said, we need clear skins on that floor, Tom. 
so we can put a camera and we can shoot it up and you can see the sticks as they hit that skin. I'm going public. You better have me new skins by next week. You know why I think that way? Because I think there's an excellence in that, to see things differently, to be creative, to, to capture your imagination like a father would. And that's what God has made each one of you. He's put in you the heart of a son or a daughter of God. Understand that adoption is a gift. It's not a privilege. It's a gift. He says, here's a, here's a gift I give you. And uh, Tammy talks about her mom being adopted. My grandmother was adopted. She was an orphan from England. And all the wars that Great Britain had had, they'd shipped over all these kids to New York and then they took all the kids on the East Coast that didn't have, they didn't have enough places for them to go, and they put them on trains. They were called the orphan train. And they started in New York, and they went all the way across the United States. And my grandmother was adopted in Missouri by a family who was looking for a little girl. And I don't know what my heritage would be. I don't know what, how different I would have been if, if I'd have been, you know, she wouldn't have been adopted or if I'd have been adopted by a different family. But you see, there was a gift that was given there. She was considered, and here's, Ted touched on this, she was considered a new person. In Christ, you're considered a new person. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, behold, the new has come. You are a new, new person. You're given a new name. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12 says, he that overcomes, I will write upon him my new name. God gives you a new name. A new religion, Ephesians 2.19, therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You say, I'm a Baptist. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're in the Jesus religion. When you get to heaven, there's not going to be any Presbyterians or Baptists. Just don't tell them that because they think they're the only ones going. But what happens is you're going to get up, there's going to be one tag on you, and it's, a, it's going to be the tag, the blood of the Lamb of God who was slain, who was buried, who rose from the dead to give life. And every nation and every tongue and every ethnicity is going to sing one song unto the Lord and say there's only one name. It's above every name, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. Amen to the glory of God the Father. You're going to have a full inheritance, a full inheritance. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus receives, you receive. That's what it says. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to do. I'm done. Sermon's done. Just easier just to shut it off and try to land the plane. I'm just going to shut it off right now. I want everybody to stand with me, and I want all the men to come forward, okay? If you're standing back there saying, I'm not coming, you're not a real man. How's that? Amen? I want to give you a prophetic blessing, man. Some of you are fathers. Just come in close, guys. Come in. There won't be room if you don't come in tight. I want to give a prophetic blessing. Some of you are fathers. Some of you will be fathers, but I want to give a blessing to you. And here's how this is going to work. We're going to put this up on the screen so you can see it. But I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to have you repeat. Got to squeeze in tighter. If you, don't, if you can't smell the guy's deodorant, you're not close enough. I love seeing all these burly guys up here. This is awesome. Awesome. Amen. Ladies, clap for the guys.
Amen. You got it? We got it? Everybody here? Cool. Any men left back there? If you dip, rate ladies, if you see a man back there, point him out. Okay, here's what we're going to do. In the name of Jesus, this is your part. You go, in the name of Jesus. I know your wife isn't there. Go, this is when you say something. In the name of Jesus, I break the lies of the enemy. My heritage is secure by the blood of the Lamb. I take my place with the sons and daughters of the Most High God. I receive my inheritance by faith. I am victorious. The enemy has no authority over me. I am aligned for increase, for wisdom, for authority. I receive all that God has for me today and forever. If you receive it, just say, I receive it. Say it again. I receive it. Lord God, I pray right now that a spirit of of manhood and fatherhood and sonship fall on all these men, that they, they disregard from this point on anything that's been encroaching upon them being a man of God, and that they take up the mantle and the authority, the spiritual gift that God has given them to lead and to guide and to be men for God. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's sing Abba Father. Can we just sing this together? Men, I want to hear from you. I want to hear some good man voices here. be here. Please be here. Ladies, if you can be here, please be here. Um, you can come to both. They'll be different. So you'll get, you'll get, uh, if you come to both, you're going to get even more. And remember, we want to empower you to pray for the sick. Amen. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't you be able to like to wake up one day and go, you know, I don't know what happened, but man, I just, God just came loose on me. I prayed on someone. They got well. What? Really? That's so cool. So as you go out today, by the prayer wall. You can go out front, as Pastor Nate said, get your picture taken and grab some popcorn, but go by the prayer wall. We counted up the prayer requests in that wall this week. 67,396. 
We've been guessing about 30,000. So that means that we're averaging 300 prayer requests in that wall every week since we've been open. That's pretty amazing. Some of them are your prayers. We pray they're answered. Amen. Guys, have a great day. God bless you. We'll see you next time.